All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, a lot of exciting things going on at our church, uh, one of which is a new baby girl uh, that Kate and I were able to bring into the world a couple weeks ago, and so that's exciting. Now we're trying to figure out how to uh, raise all three of them at the same time. So prayers are appreciated. I appreciate you guys praying, and man, we've, we've uh, just, it's been a blessing. So uh, also, December 4th is going to be a great day, so uh, we're going to have one service, as Ethan said. Remember, that's a groundbreaking. We've been working at this now for uh, three years leading up to this day, and so uh, you guys have gone over and beyond in your generosity, and we, as a church family, were able to raise $1.3 million in three years, and uh, just an incredible testimony uh, to what God is doing in us and through us, and so we're going to celebrate that day. We're going to have food trucks out there. Uh, we're going to break ground on our facility. Uh, we're going to do some, uh, just hang out together as a church family. Uh, so hopefully it won't be too cold to eat some tacos uh, and some barbecue. So uh, we're going to do that. As well as when you came in this morning, you should have gotten a brochure that says immeasurably more. The video kind of introduced it. Uh, you know, there's some super exciting objectives on here. I could talk to you uh, about each one of these for hours, but I will not do that. You guys heard uh, kind of the heartbeat of our church has always been to take new ground and reach new people. And that's what Immeasurably More is all about, about God doing Immeasurably More in us and through us is the same way he did through the 1-8 Project. And so uh, the 1-8 Project will end at the end of November, and then we'll roll right into Immeasurably More for the next three years, uh, and we'll be able to accomplish some incredible things. You should have got a commitment card. I'll explain that a little bit more uh, closer to December 4th, but this is kind of as a church family, how we make our commitments. That just helps us as a leadership uh, team uh, know how to plan, know how to make decisions, as well as encourages you to sit down with your family, with your wife, with uh, yourself, whoever it is, and just pray through what would God have you give uh, over and beyond over the next three years. And so the great thing about our church is uh, we, we don't really have one person that can write a check for $1.5 million. But what we do have are a lot of people that love God and a lot of people that are willing to sacrifice over and beyond what they're already given and saying, hey, I'm just gonna sacrifice a little bit more so that we can give this amount uh, for the next three years uh, so that we can reach more people with the gospel. And that's what I love about our church is it's a true testament uh, to what our heartbeat is. It's not about us, it's not about a building, it's about reaching people, and that's what we uh, wanna continually keep in front of you guys. And so today we're jumping into this series called Immeasurably More. And obviously I'm very excited about it. I've been thinking about it and praying about it for a while now. And uh, just really the anticipation is, is awesome. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is the objectives of Immeasurably More are awesome. I mean, they really are. Uh, you guys are going to hear a lot about those in the next few weeks. But another reason that I'm really excited is because I believe the number one enemy of what God wants to do in our church and through our church is complacency. I really believe that with all my heart. I believe more than uh, anybody else struggles with any sin in this room, the number one struggle and the number one scheme of the enemy on our lives, on my life, on the life of our church is complacency. Satan wants us to be satisfied with where we are and where we've been and not think about where God wants to take us next. Does that make sense? And so we, as a church body, have to continue to ask God for more. And the, and the, the, the series title comes out of a prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to have your Bible, open your Bibles up, Ephesians chapter 3 is where we'll be uh, this morning. 
uh, Ephesians 3, verse 14. And, and I'm so thankful. I, I really am. When I think about what God's done in our church, I am so thankful. God has done an incredible work uh, in our church. I just want to share a little bit about what he has done over the past eight years uh, in and through Connection Church, uh, Vidalia. One, we've seen 300 salvations. That's 300 people who've given their life to Christ and Christ has transformed. That's, we've also seen 400 baptisms. We've seen one discipleship group or connect group multiply uh, into 28 different connect groups, not just in Toombs County, but also some of the surrounding counties around us. We've seen seven new connection churches planted in different cities around our state. We've seen four international missionary units raised up and sent out to places where the gospel is not to plant churches there as well. And there's so many people in this room uh, and in our church that are growing in their relationship with God. And that's what our purpose is. We exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ. And God is doing a work. And what I want you to know is that these are things that I cannot do in people. Uh, these are things that no pastor, uh, no person in this room can create life change in a person. You understand that? Only God can do that. And, and so what that means is that we have experienced and been a part of God doing some incredible things over the past eight years. And when we think about that, we should be eternally grateful that God has allowed us to be a part of what he's allowed us to be a part of. Because when he's present, it's easy. Life change is happening. Like that's what happens when God is in the room, when God's in the middle of something, life change uh, happens. And he's left his mark on our church over the past eight years. Not to mention uh, just the success that we saw with the 1-8 project. I mean, the fact that our church raised $1.3 million over the past three years in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of inflation skyrocketing towards the end of it is just absolutely incredible. I think we committed on the front end when none of that stuff was on the horizon a little bit over $1 million. And, and three years later, we were able to sacrifice together and give, this is over and beyond tithes and offerings now. I'm not talking like this is just tithes are included in this number. This is normal giving and then our people saying, no, I don't wanna just give normally. I wanna sacrifice more and give more. And on the more of that was $1.3 million. And that isn't even the awesome statistic about it. I don't even care that much about the big number. What I care about is the participation. 71% of the people who call Connection Church their home participated in the 1-8 project. 71%. Now, that's incredible. Uh, that, that, you, that is awesome because what it does is Paul teaches us that generosity literally tests our hearts. And so if you want to know our heart as a church and the heart of the people sitting in this room, it can be tested through our generosity. And for me, there's nothing that makes me more proud than to look at what we were able to accomplish uh, in, in, in the 1-8 project and to see our hearts overflow into incredible generosity to reach people uh, for the gospel. And so over the past few months, uh, I've been enjoying that. You know, it's kind of like playing a sport. You, you celebrate the win. Hey, we're going to celebrate this win for 24 hours is what Kirby Smart always says. And uh, then we're going to get on to the next one, right? And so uh, maybe that's wrong or maybe that's right. But I've been celebrating uh, the fact that we've, we've gotten to our goal. We've hit our goal. We've hit where we wanted to be. And now, over the past few months, my prayer has been, God, where, what's next? God, what do you have for us next? And 
Over and over again, God has brought me back to this Ephesians 3 prayer that Paul prays uh, for the Ephesians. And it's an incredible prayer. And we're about to dive into it, but it's an incredible prayer for more. As Ethan was saying, it's, it's one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible because what Paul is praying for the Ephesians is that God would do immeasurably more in them and through them for his glory than, we could, than he could ever ask or imagine. And it is an absolute incredible prayer, not only for the Ephesians, but also for us as a church. God, uh, Paul wants to see God do more in the Ephesians so that he can do more through them. And over the next three weeks, this is what I want us to dig into as a church. And I want to challenge you personally, as a part of this church, uh, to pray this prayer. God, would you do more in my life so that you can do more through my life? Knowing that the number one enemy and the number one hindrance of, of what God wants to do in your life is you sitting back and saying, man, God's really done a lot in my life. Like, God's already done a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of good where I'm at, God. I don't need to stretch. I don't need anything else. Just kind of let me sit tight where I'm at. That is not what Christian growth looks like. Christian growth starts with asking God to do more in your life. And what we'll see in a minute is Paul don't even know what he's praying for. He just knows that, that God is going to do more than he could ask or imagine, and I pray that that's what God would do in and through us, and I pray that you would enjoy, uh, I pray, I want to invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. And so let's pray together, and then we'll open up and study Ephesians 3 together. So Father, again, we love you. Uh, God, we're humbled in your presence, God, to see uh, all that you've done in our church. God, all that you've done in the lives of the people sitting in this room. God, I pray uh, that you... Uh, would do more, God, that you would continue to pour out your spirit, your love, pour out the gospel into the hearts of people, uh, God, so that we can just see you do something that only you uh, can take credit for. And Lord, I pray, God, that that would start in my life, and God, that it would continue and saturate our entire church until every person in this room is praying for you to do more in them and through them for your glory. So would you do something in us this morning, God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Uh, it's an incredible prayer. And so Paul says, he's talking to the Ephesians, and he says this, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit, in your inner being. So the first thing we need to understand is that power and more in our lives comes from the glorious riches of God. Does that make sense? Like more in your life, strength and power and what God wants to do in you and through you is not a matter of you pulling up your bootstraps and doing something yourself. Does that make sense? Like what God wants to do in you can only be done through the power of the Spirit of God that he has placed in you if you're a believer. And so what this should create in the Christian life is dependence on God and less, man, let me do this myself. Does that make sense? And so that's what we have to understand is that when we pray, the reason Paul is praying is because he understands what he's asking God to do in the Ephesians is something that he can't do himself in the Ephesians. Only God, through his grace and his riches, can pour out strength and power 
into the hearts of the Ephesians to do what he wants to do. And so, again, he said, uh, he may strengthen them with power. So that's what he's praying is that God would strengthen them with his power. How? Through his spirit. That's the spirit of God inside of believers in your inner being. Now, how many of you guys say inner being with me? One, two, three. Inner being. How many of you guys know that we have an inner being? That's just an interesting term. The Bible teaches we have an inner being and an outer being. Now, we live in a culture that spends a lot of time on the outer being, right? We want to look good, feel good, taste good, you know, all that stuff. We want everything to be perfect on the outside. But a lot of times what we fail to do is to focus on the inner being, which God says is the most important of our being, right? And so we see uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians, we've already studied, Paul said the outward being is going to be wasting away until we die. But the inner being can be renewed day by day in Christ. And so he wants us to focus on this inner being, the spirit of God in us. So that, why is the so that? Why does Paul want the Ephesians to be strengthened with power through the spirit of God in their inner being? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now underline that word dwell. That's a big word. Dwell uh, is, 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 a, is a huge word. It means to uh, make home in, right? It's a permanent dwelling, and Paul's heart is that Christ himself, through the Spirit of God, would make his home inside of the believers in Ephesians. Because what happens is when Christ makes his home in us, he begins to take over us. He begins to use us. He begins to renovate our life to look more and more like him and to care more and more about the things that he cares about. But what happens is we have to make room for him to do that. That makes sense? And so we have to prepare. And so Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And, and then he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, listen, to grasp to grasp, to comprehend, to, to experience how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so Paul is actually trying to explain something to them that he says is beyond knowledge. Like, I want you to experience the love of God and know the love of God and experience the power of God in such a way that, that moves from here into here. And that's something that only God can do. And we live in a culture where you can literally know about Jesus and know the gospel and, and know that Jesus died for your sins and know that Jesus is better but it literally stay here and never take root in your heart and produce any kind of life change. And this is religion. This is what religion does. This is why there's so many churches that lack the power of God. There's so many Christians that call themselves Christians that lack the power of God. God's not doing anything in their life because there's no power in just knowing something here, we must pray that God would sink it and apply it into our hearts. And that's what Paul wants them to understand is that when, we, when the power of God begins to work in our life, what happens is the depth of love, God's love just begins to just, just fill our hearts in a way that surpasses knowledge and it goes deeper into our lives than that. And he wants them to be filled with the full measure of the fullness of God. Verse 20. And then he, he ends it 
And he's, he, the measure of the fullness of God, anytime he says that, what Paul is referring to is Christian maturity. Like Christian maturity is when the power of God and the spirit of God works in our life to make us more like Jesus so that when people look at our lives, the fullness of God is on display to the world. That makes sense? And so obviously I'm making that look like a short process. That is a long process of God saving us and then growing us into the fullness of Christ where literally when somebody experiences us and the power of God at work in us, they experience Christ himself because Christ himself has made his home in us. A lot of sin in our life has to get out of the way before that can happen. And we have to be in process over and over, and we have to constantly grow and set our hearts on the Lord so that he can literally, but the ultimate goal is that when somebody would come into the presence of us as a Christian, that they would experience God, his love, his heart, his, 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 his words, everything about us would reflect Jesus to the world around us. And when we reach that point, which we will in heaven, but we are intended to grow into that in our entire life on this earth. And then now, Paul goes and he says, now to him who is able, he's talking about God, now to God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now you gotta understand what he's saying. He's saying now to, now to, now to him, now to God who is able to do more. He could have just said more, right? And that would have been great. Like, God, would you just do more in my life? I mean, I'm just trying to start us as a church with that prayer. But Paul ain't praying just for more. He's praying for immeasurably more. So that means it's immeasurable. He don't, he don't know there's no measurement that can dictate what he wants to see happen in the Ephesians. He's measuring it based on the size of his God. And we all know this God is immeasurable. And he's saying, that's what I wanna see happen in the Ephesians, but he doesn't stop there. He could have just said, God, I'm praying that you would do immeasurably more in my life. But then he goes on to say, immeasurably more than I could ask. So immeasurably more than I could even ask. And then it's like, oh my gosh, that's even bigger than immeasurably more because now he's praying that not, not just for more, but immeasurably more, not just for immeasurably more, but immeasurably more than he could ever ask. So he don't even know what to ask for, this is so big. And then he adds cake on top of that and says, not just more than I can ask, but God, blow my mind even more than I can imagine. Would you do that in the life of the Ephesians? I mean, could you imagine a church like ours that would commit to praying this and meaning it before God? What could God do in a life, mine, your life, with a group of people that would fall on their knees before him and say, God, I wanna see you do more in my life. I'm talking to people like you and like me who like to get comfortable, don't we? We, we, we like comfort. We, we like complacency. We like to think about what God has already done and how far he's brought us, but we, we kind of like to just settle in and say, man, I'm kind of satisfied with where I'm at. You know, I've had to give up a lot. We, we don't not like to think about that next, but I'm praying and I'm challenging you and I'm inviting you through this series that you would begin to pray, God, would you do not just more, but immeasurably more, and not just immeasurably more, but immeasurably more than I could ever ask for and immeasurably more than I could ever imagine in my life. And he says, according to God's power that is at work within us and to him be the glory. We'll give him the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever 
and ever. Amen. And so what do we learn? A couple things. We, here we see Paul is praying for spiritual power in the life of the Ephesians. That God would strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner being and that God would help them grasp the depth of his insatiable, inexhaustible love. Width, depth, uh, length, and height. And he says this surpasses. It will never get to the end of it. It's so big. But you can think about it in every direction and all of them blow you away. And, And I could go into that forever, but I won't. So... And he's praying this, that they would be strengthened with power and they would grasp the love of God so that Christ would dwell deep in their hearts. That's what he wants. He wants Christ to to dwell, to make his home in them so much that when people experience the Ephesians, they experience the fullness of God. That when people come into our presence, that they experience Christ himself, because it is Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, that's at work in us to display himself to the world. That's what he's after. And what's even cooler than this, and I think what spoke to me the most, is if you back off the context of Ephesians. Ephesians is a great book. I don't have time to teach you the whole thing during this series. I would if I could. But at the end of the day, if you break down the book of Ephesians, what you see is the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the gospel. They're about the gospel. They're about what the gospel does in our lives. They're about who we now are as a Christian. We've been chosen by God. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit over and over. Chapter one, just an incredible chapter. Two, he jumps into the gospel. This is who you were, but now you've been made alive in Christ. Now Christ has a plan for your life. But in the first three chapters, he doesn't tell you anything to do. And so you're sitting there and it's like, okay, we got this gospel identity, then skip the prayer and go to the back half of Ephesians, which is all about how we should live our lives as a Christian. Now that God's done this, now that this is our identity, this is how we should approach marriage. This is how we should approach sin and this is how we should approach workplace and this is how we should approach spiritual warfare and fighting all these things. And then right in the middle of that, Paul sandwiches those two things with this prayer for power. Why would he do that? Because what he knows and what he understands, and it would do well for us to understand the same exact thing, is that this, Paul understands that everything God wants to do in us and through us is dependent on his power at work within us. So it's one thing for me to tell you and teach you really great sermons and theological truths. Like I could teach you, hey, this is what Christ has done in your life. This is what he did to do it. This is now who you are in Christ, adopted, chosen, uh, useful for God. He's given you all this to seal with the Holy Spirit. Boom, just amazing gospel truths that you could literally dig into for hours. And Paul says, that's great, but it does nothing to transform your life so that it affects the way that you live. It's only the knowledge of God the, the, the truth about God, God's word, empowered by the spirit of God that produces the life change of the gospel. And so this is why we can come in church and we can hear sermons over and over and over and great sermons, good sermons out of the word of God. But at the end of the day, if the power of God is not working in us, then we walk out of here and nothing changes. 
And Paul understands this, and this is why in the book of Ephesians, he gets, to ch- he gets to the end of the truth, and he says, God, these are amazing truths that you've done for us, but apart from your power, they have no, they have no power to change. And this is as a Christian where we have to get to the place where we come to the realization that nothing God wants to do in and through our life can be done without his power at work within us. You can't fake it in the Christian life. You can fake it and you can fool yourself and maybe you can fool me and maybe you can fool some of these people around you, but you can't fool God. And the only way to lasting life change and the gospel to transform our lives is through the power of God at work in us. And before God can do immeasurably more through us and in us, he has to do immeasurably more in our hearts through his power. And the good news of the gospel is that we have a radically generous God who is ready and he's willing to do immeasurably more in your life if you're willing to get to the end of yourself and say, God, I want more. God, give me more. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need more. I want you to do a work in my life. And so here's my question today. Is the power of God at work in your life? Very simple. Yes or no question. But I want you to stop from answering it right now. And I want to build up to it at the end. And I want to ask it to you again at the end. And here's the thing. I'm going to assume that when I ask, is the power of God at work in your life? that you don't know what it means for the power of God to be at work in your life, okay? And let me tell you, I'm not doing that because I think you're stupid. I'm doing that because I've asked 15 or 20 people that question this week, over the past few weeks. Hey, what does it look like for the power of God to work in your life? And you know what they all respond back? That's a great question, Billy. You should preach on that. And so I'm I'm doing it because I want to, to get it on the bottom shelf because if we know what the power of God looks like at work in us, then, then we can discern if it's actually working And if it is, then God, more of it. And if it isn't, then God, maybe I need to invite it into my life because I've been missing the whole deal and missing the whole point of what you're trying to do in my life. So let's make it a little practical. How does the power of God work in our lives? And here's the caveat. And you probably picked up on this through the prayer. The power of God and the love of God work together. They literally go hand in hand. Like you almost, you can separate them, but... At some point when you're talking about the power of God, you'll come back to the love of God. And you can separate the love of God, but at some point you'll come back to the love of God producing the power of God in your life. They they roll together in the scriptures. And here's the thing. As we experience the love of God, it unleashes the power of God in us and vice versa. Uh, as we, as the power of God unleashes in our lives, then we supernaturally experience the love of God. The best way I know to explain it is this. The power of God applies the love of God into our hearts. So so that's what it does. The, The power of God applies the love of God. It takes it from an intellectual knowledge and moves it into our heart where we feel and experience the love of God. It takes the cross from being something that we're outside of and puts us in on it to say, no, it wasn't just a cross, it was my cross that Jesus was on. And when it becomes your cross, then it begins to make a bigger impact on your life because you see it was Jesus in your place that was dying on the cross and he was doing it for a reason and he was doing it for a purpose and we begin to investigate that but we have to make it personal, it has to be personal. And when the love of God is applied into our hearts, 
our lives will change radically. So the power of God applies the love of God into our hearts, and when the love of God is applied into our hearts, then our lives change radically, and you could backtrack that. So if my life has not been changed radically and is not changing radically, then the power of God is probably not work in my life, but that's too simple, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it a little more complicated. So let's dive in. How does the power of God work in our life? Number one, the power of God, where it starts. Where does it begin? Where does the power of God come from? Listen to verse 16. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Underline that. Through his spirit in your inner being. So the power of God starts with the spirit of God in our inner being. The question after that is, how does the spirit of God get into our inner being? Salvation. This is why salvation is such a big deal in the Christian life. Salvation is not getting out of one line going to hell and getting into this line going to heaven. Salvation is becoming a new person. Salvation is literally God putting his spirit inside of us so that we can live a different life for his glory. Like that's what it is. We can't dumb it down to, hey, you want to be saved? Oh, you don't want to burn? Then let's get in this. Oh, that's a great truth. Listen, but that's not the only arse thing we got in the arsenal as a Christian. Like if you scare somebody into becoming a Christian, they miss the point. Right? We can manipulate kids all we want to to say, you don't want to go to hell, do you? You need to go to heaven, right? Blah, blah, blah. And that's a great truth. But at the end of the day, being a Christian is about the power of God being at work in our lives. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, and you also, talking to the Ephesians, were included in Christ. You were saved when you heard the message of truth, which was the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed in it, you were marked in him with a seal. And this seal was what? The promised Holy Spirit. So we see, how do we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? We hear the gospel we hear the fact that we're a sinner and that sin has separated us from God who were we created to be in a relationship with and God, because we could not make a way and do enough good to get back to him, sent his son in our place to pay the penalty that we deserve so that we could be reconciled back to God where we belong so that we can live the life that God created us to live in the very beginning. When we hear that message and we say, yes, I want that. I don't want to live my life for myself anymore, continually trying to fill this hole of happiness in my heart with things that will never fill it. I realize I've been created by God for God, and I realize that I've been in rebellion against God, but I want to repent and turn from my sin and trust in God and lay my life at his feet. And in that moment, Paul says, when you believe that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says the same thing. Acts chapter two, verse 38. He, he's preaching the gospel to him, explaining that Jesus is the Savior. And it says they were cut to the heart. What should we do, Peter? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift. What's the gift? The Holy Spirit. The gift. The game changer in your life is the Holy Spirit. To do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is to miss the point. You'll be the most miserable person that you could ever be because you'll be being somebody that you are not. And that's what being a Christian is all about, receiving the Holy Spirit and actually Christianity becoming not just something you do, but who you are. 
It's a change of desires, and the power of God is not something that we can produce in ourselves. It's a gift of God's glorious grace that we can receive. And when we hear the gospel and we respond through repentance and faith, and God gives us his spirit, which brings the power of God into our lives, and this is where so many people miss the boat with Christianity. They think there's something you can do to change yourself. Billy, I don't know what you're doing over there, but man, you're changing them people. I ain't doing nothing. Like the Spirit of God is what changes people. They think Christianity is a decision that you make to become a better you. And that sounds great, but that's not Christianity. That's self-help. That's religion. And it has absolutely no power to deal with the root problem in your life, which is the sin that you're created in. Only Christ can do that. The power of God doesn't just come into our lives to make us a better person. The power of God transforms us into a new person with new desires, with a new identity, with a new purpose in life. It makes us new. Listen to Ezekiel talk about it in the Old Testament. He says the new covenant when it comes after Jesus, he says God's going to give us a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And he's going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will give you my spirit in you, and it will move you or cause you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jeremiah says, I'm going to write my law on your hearts because you're not good at following it when it's not there. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. You are a new creation. Old is gone, the new is here. Listen to me carefully. If, you, if your approach to Christianity has been trying to change yourself with your own power, then you have missed the point. You've missed it. True power and life transformation comes only through the power of God and the work of the Spirit in our inner being. And that starts with true salvation and true repentance and true faith and true surrender. And listen, once that power gets in us, it will not let us go. It won't let us go. It won't let us go. It's not, a, it's not a new season that you're in or a new, new, new couple of weeks that you're going to try something out. When that power comes in you, it will not let you go. He will continue and finish the work that he started in you is what Paul says in Philippians. And that power in our lives has one goal. It's one goal. And its goal is to transform us to be more like Jesus. You can make it more complicated than that, and I could preach a whole sermon on it, but at the end of the day, what does the Spirit of God do in us? What does the power of God do? It makes us more like Christ. It molds us and grows us and squeezes sin out of us and leads us out of sin and into the life that Christ has designed us to live and out of comfort and complacency and out of cruise control into a gear of growing to become more and more like Jesus. The Spirit of God does not just sit idle in our lives. He don't do well with that. Like he, he don't do well with idle. He comes with a purpose and a mission, and he's got the whole hound of heaven with him. The power of heaven, all authority is with him, and he's transforming our life to be more and more like Christ, convicting us and growing us and prompting us. So that's where it starts. Well, how does it grow? Secondly, how does it grow in us? Again, I'll tell you, the power of God and the love of God are closely connected. The power of God grows in us as we walk with Jesus 
Do life in community and live on mission. Billy, where do you get that from? Let me read the prayer again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Underline dwell. Dwell means that Christ would make his home in you, that you would walk with him and that he would walk with you, not an imaginary being, but a person would be with you. Do life in community, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. We're not created to do it alone. The power of God is designed to work through community into our life. And then he ends saying that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What was the fullness of God? The fullness of God was Christ. And what did Christ come to do to accomplish the mission? And so what we see is the power of God grows in us as we walk with Jesus and do life in community and live on mission. It grows in us as we walk with Jesus. The power of God in us grows as we walk with him and we experience his love. Write this down. Christianity is a lot less about following rules and a lot more about knowing a person. Like we can't miss that. It's huge. When we first get saved, we think we know God and we think we know the love of God, but we're just getting started. The more we walk with Christ and we spend time with Christ in his word, knowing him, in prayer, knowing him, the more we learn about him, the more we abide in him, the more we take next steps when he asks us to take them, the more his power begins to work in our lives. And this power begins to do a purpose, and that purpose is to transform us to be more and more like Christ. And this is what Paul's praying, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. He's actually praying that Christ would not just live in your heart, but that he would rule your heart. That's what he wants, that, that he would settle down in your heart, that he would take over your heart. You see, that's what Jesus does when he comes into our lives, is he, he comes to abide there. But he finds us in not very good shape when he gets there. Now, we got some issues. But what he does is he comes in like Chip and Joanna Gaines, and he does a complete renovation. And he begins to show us areas in our house, in our body, in our lives that, hey, that's old news. That's the old you. This is the new you. Let's walk in this identity. Let's walk in this purpose. This is what I came to do, and this is his purpose in our life. Listen to Tony Evans as he explains it. He says, increased spiritual strength requires increased spiritual intimacy. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and he's not talking about salvation because he's writing to Christians. The Greek word for dwell means to make yourself at home. That's what we tell people to do when they come to visit our house. Nevertheless, we don't mean that we want them roaming around our entire house and rummaging through our closets. But if you want spiritual power, listen, Jesus must be free to, to be fully at home in your heart. He must have access to every room. He wants to clean and straighten out the messy closets that you're hiding. And if you want to realize all that God has for you, then Christ must be Lord of your heart. That's how he does. He comes into our lives. And listen, it's okay to not be okay. It really is. Like, it's actually good that you're honest that you're not okay. But the Spirit of God don't leave you there. The Spirit of God grabs you in your not okay 
and moves you toward Christ who is okay and begins to pull you and to, to, to work his power in you. Secondly, the power of God grows in us as we do life in community, together with all the Lord's holy people is what Paul says. And he prays for power and love, but he knows that part of experiencing God's power and his love has to be done in community. Paul wants them to have an increased comprehension, an increased understanding of God's love, but they can't comprehend that without all of the saints. You see, our individual experiences of God are limited. They really are. They're limited. They're good. Listen, you can experience God on your own, and it's good, but it's limited. We need to be a part of the family of God. This is why the church is such a blessing in our life, and we need to learn how God works in the lives of others to truly see how great he is. I'm so good at this. Like, man, you know, we like to label other people. But part of us seeing how good and great God is, is watching God transform somebody who's not like us. You know what I mean? Who doesn't struggle with what we struggle with. That you walk in and like, man, I thought I was bad. This dude is a mess. And then you get to watch God transform his life. And it's like, if God can do that in him, what can he do in me? And we start to be encouraged and we experience the love of God in them in a way that's different. And usually it's not that they're that much more of a mess than you. You just are prideful about your own heart. So I'll go ahead and say that too. Um, this is why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is why God's love is designed to be tasted. This is designed to be experienced. And then thirdly, the power of God grows in us as we live on mission. Listen to me. There are certain parts of God's power that we will only ever experience when we live on mission. There are certain parts of God's power that we will only experience when we embrace the mission of God in our life. There are spiritual gifts in you that God's put there. And until you get serious about reaching people, that power that God's put in you won't come out because you won't prioritize it coming out. There's ways that God wants to lead you out in faith to share the gospel with a person, to show you that it's not what you say, but what he can do in their life, but you won't experience his power unless you take the step. Listen, I could go through my entire life and show you every step of faith that God's asked me to take, that I was scared to death before I took it. When I took it, not only did I experience the love of God in a whole new way, not only did I experience the power of God in a whole new way, but literally, it, 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 it will blow your mind and almost make you addicted to taking the steps that he's asked you to take. Because now you, you step and you're like, all right, what's God going to do here? You know what I mean? You just kind of look and it's like, oh, he did this last time. What's he going to do now? And it's just an incredible thing. But I just think back to the moments where I, I didn't trust God enough to step when he told me to step. It was like, hey, step. But I was like, hold on, God. What about this? I like this, I don't really wanna give up that. What are they gonna think? And that was all I thought about, was what I was giving up. But when you understand that Christ and the step that he's asking you to take is the best step that you could ever imagine, you don't really worry about what everybody else has got to say anymore. Because you're stepping into the power of God. It's like the song Oceans. You remember the song Oceans where God calls us out into the water? 
Don't you know that when Peter stepped out over the water and God allowed him to stand that he experienced God in a new way? Don't you know that when Paul and John prayed for the guy outside the temple and God healed them, that they experienced God in a new way? But there was a moment before that where they had to consider in their hearts, am I about to take this step? Because if I step out here and sink, I'm gonna look like an idiot and everybody's gonna laugh at me. Or if I pray for this lady and expect them to be healed, I'm gonna look like an idiot if God doesn't show up. But as a Christian, we have to be willing to step out because when we step out on the mission, we experience the power of God in a way that we wouldn't if we didn't step. It's incredible, it's incredible. We have to be a people that are willing to step out. And lastly, and most simply, the power of God, what it produces. What it produces. Here's the good news about the power of God at work in our lives. When it's at work in us, it's evident. Like it shows up, visually produces. God has this thing rigged. The power of God will always produce in our life. It produces fruit. It produces Christ's likeness. It produces fullness of God. Ultimately, it produces life change in us. Like this is, the, if the power of God is at work in my life, the fruit of God will be evident in my life. If the power of God is at work in me, the fruit of God will be evident through me, always. This is, this is what I love about Christianity. God's rigged this thing. He knows we're, we're just stupid and we need it to be on the wall. And so here's the thing. If you're coming to church, you're reading your Bible, you're doing a lot of things that you consider good things, but the fruit of the Spirit aren't flowing out of your life. You're not loving people. You don't have joy. You're not uh, good and, and self-controlled and generous and faithful and all these things. If, if, those, if those aren't evident in your life, then whatever you're doing is not connecting you to God because when you're connected to God, it produces the fruit of the Spirit. So you can come to church, but if you're treating your wife like crap, you ain't connecting to God at church. You might as well not even come. You need to connect with God because when we connect with God, what happens is the fruit of the Spirit, love for God, love for others, and the commitment to the mission of God begins to flow out of our life. So I'll end with the same question that I began with. Is this power of God at work in you? And there's only one person in the room that can answer that question. Well, two with God. And so right where you are, I just want you to bow your head. Listen, I'm inviting you into this. If you're here and you don't like your toes to be stepped on, you hate me already. I know it. It's fine. I love you. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Is the power of God at work in my life? Right now, is it at work in my life? Is the fruit that's coming out of my life the fruit of God, or is it the fruit of me? Selfishness, sinful habits, doing what I wanna do, or is it love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love for God, love for others, commitment to his mission? What is it? that's being produced in your life. If you'd say, Billy, man, I don't think he's at work in me, but I want him to be. And you gotta ask yourself two questions. One, have you ever truly surrendered to God? Have you ever understood Christianity to be something that you can't do on your own? And have you ever fell at the feet of Christ and said, God, I need you to do in me what I can't do for myself? 
And if that's you in here today, today's the day of salvation. And God's inviting you into that. And I'm gonna ask you to be bold because we wanna help you. If that's you, right now, would you just lift your hand and say, Billy, that's me. I wanna invite Christ into my life today. Anybody in this room, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. Raise your hand high. Say, Billy, that's me. Anybody. And for the rest of us, if the answer to that question is no, then what is it that's hindering the power of God from working in our life? The power of God begins as we say no to ourself. It's John the Baptist, less of me and more of you, God. So would you join me in this prayer as we walk through this series? Father, I pray right now, God, that you would do more in our church. God, that you would do more in me. And God, that you would do more in me so that you could do more through me for your glory. And God, that's my prayer, and I pray that it be the prayer and the heartbeat of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.